Well, good morning, Life Church. How are we doing? Everybody have fun at Trick or Treat last night, Trick or Trunk, and all the events going on? To eat a lot of candy? I felt guilty because I had about four or five pieces yesterday, and I found out we ran out, so. <laughs> but that's my once-a-year vice, you know, I, I love Katie. But welcome, our friends are online and over at Life Church Midcoast. Good to have you tuning in. And uh, I am very excited about this series. I don't know if you guys have enjoyed it as much as I have, but I really just fallen in love with this series on building relationships, and, and it's really struck a chord with me, uh, you know, because I have done a lot of things right and also a lot of things wrong in relationships, and I, I just um, I love studying the chapter, that love chapter that we've been doing in our life group series, uh, 1 Corinthians 13, and if you haven't jumped into a life group, I strongly recommend it. You can jump in, and we're halfway through, but you can still jump in at any time, and even if you just come to one, it would be worth it. Uh, last week was amazing, and it seems like every week they keep getting better and better and better. So we've been talking about this love chapter, and every time I hear that, I want to think about having some Barry White music in the background, or talking about, yeah, <laughs> I can't even do that voice, but I just love that voice, you know? Well, you know, speaking of love, I was looking at, and I love what kids have to say about things, and I have a young daughter that comes up with all these great I- thoughts, and just out of nowhere, and, and it's really kind of funny, but I was reading, um, these group of professionals got together, they, these four to eight-year-old kids kids and said one question, what is love? What does love mean? And here's some of their responses. I thought they were kind of cute. Danny, age seven, said, love was when mommy makes coffee for daddy and then sips it and makes sure it's okay for him. (laughs) That's love. And Emily, age eight, said, love is when you kiss all the time. (laughs) And then when you get tired of kissing, you still want to be together and talk. My mommy and daddy are like that. They look gross though when they kiss. (laughs) <laughs> and then Chris, age seven, said this, love is when mommy sees daddy all sweaty and smelly after working outside, and she still says to him, you look han- more handsome than Robert Redford. <laughs> That's love, isn't it? From the mouth of babes. Well, we're going to take a look at a story in your Bibles on page, uh, I think it's 286, if you Bible or on your phone or in your own Bible, um, uh, 2 Kings chapter 5. And we're going to look at a story. And I got to be honest with you, you know, when I was, Pastor Ryan asked me to share, we were talking about this and I said, I think I got the story and I wasn't really sure. I was kind of frustrated a little bit because I didn't have something. I didn't really have a direction. And then I did a, like I almost every do at night, tell a story to my daughter from her Bible. And she gave me, she picked out the story one night and it was a story of this guy named Naaman. And and I just fell in love with the little girl in the story and fell in love with this whole story. And I read it over and over again, read it in my Bible. And I was like, wow. And God just gave me so much. And it's for me. So I'm going to share it with you. But it was just a blessing where it came from. Well, let's just read it if we could. Uh, chapter uh, 5, verse 1. I'm just going to read through a couple of these and we'll talk about it. The king of Aram had great admiration for Naaman, the commander of his army, because through him the Lord had given Aram great victories. Though Amon was a mighty warrior, this guy was, he was a rock star. He suffered from leprosy. So Naaman, actually the word Naaman means favored one, blessed one. It's kind of neat. And you know, Aram is actually north of Israel. It is where Syria is today. And they, those two cultures have been fighting for years, decades. Now centuries have been fighting, battling with each other. And there's tremendous animosity and hatred between those two countries. But Naaman was successful. He was driven. He was a leader. He was amazing. He had great status. But it says here, he suffered from leprosy. 
you know, I've heard of leprosy in the Bible, and you know, that's where I originally found out. And I did a little studying about it, and I was amazed at how incredible this disease was. It's a very painful disease that over time, what, whatever area of your body is afflicted would change colors, and you'd have these incredible, I was going to show you some pictures, but they were too gruesome. You'd have bumps on your, I mean, it was just really terrible. It'd be worse than a Halloween costume. And parts of your body that are affected, eventually the nerve endings would die. And those body parts eventually would fall off. And you're doomed. There's no cure for it. It was a very painful, very sad disease. And right now, there's about 180,000 people in this world that are affected by it. And 100 new cases in the United States alone are diagnosed of leprosy. It's, it's, it hasn't gone away. So there's no cure. And this is very serious, and it was also very obvious. Here's a guy named who's very proud. He has got great status. He's a, the king admires him. Let's read on, verse 2. At this time, Armenian raiders had in, invaded the land of Israel, and among their captives was a young girl who had been given to Naaman's wife as a maid. One day, the girl said to her mistress, I wish my master would go see the prophet in Samaria would heal him of his leprosy. So Naaman told the king what the young girl from Israel had said. And the king's response was, go, visit the prophet. And you read on, the king says, I'll write you a letter. And he does. And then he, Naaman has all this, I mean, I, he, he brings gifts to this prophet because that was a tradition. You'd go, if you want something, you would bring a gift. You go to a party, right? Somebody's birthday party, you bring a gift, right? Well, he brought some gifts, 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. Scholars have estimated that worth to be in the millions, millions of dollars. So the king said, go do this. And the other version says, by all means, do this. He had tremendous respect and love for his, his general, his commander, Naaman. I can picture him coming home, you know, this little, this little girl, she's probably about my daughter's age, 10 years old, maybe. I can picture him coming home after a long day of battling or teaching or instructing his soldiers and sitting in his favorite chair, putting his feet up with his favorite sandals and, and reading his favorite paper, the Heathen Herald. <laughs> I don't know. And just wanted to chill out and relax and, and why, and this little girl maybe, you know, serving him night after night after night. And watching him in pain, watching him in anguish, watching him struggle just to do some of the simple things that we maybe take for granted. And what did she feel? She felt compassion and she felt love for this guy. Probably wasn't easy for her. So as we're studying this um, series, Building Relationships, Pastor Brian introduced us to a scripture from John that Jesus said, love each other as I have loved you. The best example in the Bible is Jesus, isn't it? Love as I have loved. Love as I have loved you. Well, in your sermon notes, you'll see there's uh, some fill in the blanks here. And I, when I was reading this, there was two things that jumped out at me. Studying this little girl, I fell in love with this little girl. There's two must-haves for a successful relationship. There's two things that you must have to have successful relationships. One is we must give. We must give. Now, when we hear, we hear the word must, we're like, ugh. Doesn't that sound like, ugh. But Jesus said we must give. You look at the, at the scripture. It says here in Proverbs, some people are always greedy for more. But the godly love to give. You know, and sometimes it's hard to give, isn't it? 
Sometimes it's hard. Maybe you don't feel like it. Maybe you've had a long day. Maybe you just come home and you want to relax. But you know what? The kids need to eat. Stuff needs to be done. Maybe you're looking at that room that you just cleaned yesterday, and it's a mess already. And you just did the dishes, and they're piled up again. Or whatever. You can fill in the blanks. It's messy again. Maybe you get your child to bed after taking a longer than normal time, and you sit down, you get ready to watch maybe your favorite TV show, and you put your feet up, and all of a sudden you hear this soft little voice, Mommy, I'm thirsty. <laughs> Have you been there? Sure. We were there the other night. And it went on and on, and it was just like, oh, but sometimes we don't feel like giving, do we? We don't feel like it. Or maybe you, your boss asks you to do extra tasks that you, you know that are not part of your job description, Right? And you know that this person, you can get somebody else to do it, but he asks you to do it, or she, and puts more on your plate. And maybe a relative comes to you and says, you know what, I, I, I just need to borrow a few bucks. I, I promise to pay you back. I really do. And you know they haven't paid you back in the last three or four times. Or maybe one of your neighbors stops over your house and says, you know, hey, I need a drill. Can I borrow your, because you got everything, right? And I promise to bring it back. I know I, tomorrow I'll just... And they don't. And you have to, someday you're in the middle of something and you look, where's the drill? So-and-so has it. You have to walk over and ask for it back. And, or maybe your teenage daughter or son comes to you and says, Dad, I, just, I promise I'll pay for that. If you just buy it now, I'll pay for it next week. And you know, and you know the answer. You know? Or maybe you even asked to, to help out ushering. Or maybe you even asked to, to, to do something. I mean, they were scheduled downstairs. Or maybe you asked to run around help yesterday at the carnival. And maybe you didn't feel like it. A lot of times when we're asked to give, it's not something we feel like doing, is it? Or maybe you felt like my wife and I, we've been married 25 years this year. And we've experienced the good, the bad, the ugly, and the super stinky. <laughs> I mean, man, we're like, whoosh. I think we were both just blessed that we didn't quit at the same time. I don't know. And uh, maybe like I was listening to a song on the radio, the oldies, you know, because that's my stuff right now. And it was uh, Linda Ronstadt. Maybe you can remember this song. She said, I've been cheated, been mistreated. Will I be loved? Everybody under 30 is going, huh? <laughs> you can YouTube it. I had a crush on her in the 70s, too. She was awesome. But, you know, but maybe you, felt, maybe you feel like that. And then I'm going to tell you this, Hope. There's a group of folks here that have been through a lot, uh, and they're putting together a team to help you. If you're in a marriage that's struggling or you need some help, there's people here to help you. So don't do this by yourself. This group is highly trained, experienced sinners. <laughs> they are, and they'll tell you. They've been through it. They, what is that? That's true. We all are, aren't we? We're all sinners. We've all fallen short. We've all made mistakes. They've just gotten through it. And they want, desperately want to help you get there too. It says so, the godly, in that scripture in Proverbs, the godly love to give. We must give. Love each other as I have loved you. Why? Because God said, what? He loved us so much that he did what? God loved us so much that he gave. Gave what? Everything. Gave us everything. His only son for us. So we must give and without expectations. That's that hard, isn't it? Especially in a, a relationship like a marriage. I mean, hey, if I do this, I expect 
<laughs> if I do this, maybe. <laughs> you guys know what I'm talking about. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, I mean, there's always something. We always have some kind of tie-in or some expectation, don't we? But that's not what God wants us to do. Not expecting something from the person you give to. God says, I will not be mocked. I am a rewarder. Whatever you sow, he says in Galatians, you will reap. You Whatever you sow. And it usually doesn't come from the person receiving. Look at that scripture in Colossians. Work willingly at whatever you do as though you are working for the Lord rather than for people. If you have that, if you change that mindset, everything you're doing is for the Lord. Now, I am not sitting up here saying, I got this perfect because I don't. I still struggle in certain areas. I do. But whenever I, God brings me back to this, you're doing this for me, Tom. You're doing this for my people. You're doing this for me. And I'll reward you. I will bless you. I will take care of you. It changes everything, and I can do it willingly with a smile and love in my heart. Just like that little girl, right, in that story of Naaman who saw him suffering and said those words, I wish my master would go see the prophet and get healed. So we must give without expectation. You know, and and it's usually people that don't deserve it, right? It's usually the people that don't deserve it. Your giving, your love that you're asked to give to. So we must give. We also must forgive. We must forgive. We must look at these scriptures underneath that. When you're praying, first forgive anyone you're holding a grudge against so that your Father in heaven will forgive your sins too. There is an attachment to that. There is a blessing. It says, blessed, bless others and you'll be blessed. We are, I think in Corinthians it says, comfort those with the comfort you've received. There is, and in Proverbs it says, give and you'll be given. I mean, there's so many scriptures. There's so I can give you hundreds of them that talk about forgive, forgive. God doesn't say that because he wants you to be suffering and pain. He wants to free you from that. There's a reason he asks you to forgive. But you might be saying to yourself, Tom, you don't know what I've been through. You know, you don't know what they've done to me. I mean, I, I can't, I can't forgive. Well, maybe you don't understand what forgiveness really is. A lot of people have been told or maybe think that forgiveness is forgetting. Now, in your notes, I have this little messed up. It's down where it says, if you hold underneath that right forgiveness, <clears throat> I understand something. Forgiveness is not forgetting. It's not forgetting the facts that you've been wrong, that somebody hurts you. It's not forgetting that somebody hurts somebody that you love. It's not forgetting. If that was true, none of us could forgive. None of us could forgive if we had to forget. Forgiveness is all about letting go. Letting go of this bitterness, this resentment, that anger, the rage that can fuel revenge, potentially. Forgiveness is letting go. If you believe God's word and he says you will reap whatever you sow, and it is true that when you forgive, he says you will be forgiven. Just like the Lord's Prayer, forgive us of our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. As we forgive, we get forgiven. There's a correlation with that. And it's so important. And God says, please, he pleads with us over and over again in his word to do it, to do that. Put it in his hands. He says, revenge is his. He says, the battle is his. He'll take care of whatever needs to be done. He will work on that person. He will take care of it. It's not for us to do. 
So forgiveness is not forgetting. It's also not trusting. Now, trust takes time. It's built. It's not something, if somebody's wronged you, you don't just trust them. If somebody stole money from you, you're probably not going to give them your wallet full of dough and say, just hold that for a week. You're probably not going to do that. It makes no sense, right? But sometimes we get it messed up. Forgiveness is not forgetting, and it's not trusting. Now, that can be built up again, and that can be won over, but it's not doing it right off. The second thing is knowing what forgiveness is. In your notes, it says, who are you trying? Who are you trying to punish? Really, who are you trying to punish when you're not forgiving? Who are you trying to punish? If you're not careful, you can hold on to some resentment or anger or bitterness. I mean, rightly so, somebody wrongs you. You can hold on that for years. And all it does is punish yourself. That's all it ever does is hurts you. You relive the pain over and over again. And it turns to bitterness and resentment. And it tears you up inside. Physically, Harvard did a study years ago of people that were in a hospital that were getting released early for whatever symptoms they had. And they had no animosity. They had no unforgiveness. They, had, they, they saw it was, it was statistically shown that anybody who had a forgiving heart, who had uh, um, love and who had no bitterness or no resentment, healed a lot faster than anybody. And some people never got out. And those cases usually, not all, but usually had a tie-in to some resentment or bitterness. It's a really interesting study. So not only does it hurt you health-wise, but it also will hurt all your relationships, even, though, even your relationship with God. Even your relationship with God will be hurt. I know I've been in that position where I've had anger or resentment or, or mad at somebody. And my relationship with God was different. It was like, a, where are you? So what I'm saying, if you hold a grudge, you will not budge. <laughs> you will not budge from the muck, from the mire. You'll be stuck in this spot and you'll never move forward. It really, that's why God says it over and over again. Forgive, forgive, forgive. Why? Because it works. I want to tell you a little story about an interesting story. <clears throat> in um, December 2014, I'm sorry, 2012, December 14, 2012, six-year-old Jesse Lewis was getting ready for school. His dad went outside to start the car. It was a cool morning. It was frost in the windows, and Jesse got his little backpack, getting ready to go to school, walked out to the car, Mom was getting ready and getting coffee or something, and little Jesse wrote on the frost-covered window, I love you. Mom saw it, ran back in, grabbed her phone, got to take a picture of Jesse. She took a picture of him next to the window, a little drawing that he made. Gives him a hug and kiss, and Dad loads him in the car, takes him off to school. Mom gets busy with her day. She heard there was something going on at his school, she really didn't know what was going on, the details, and she said, oh, you know, how could anything happen to my little boy? He's in first grade. I mean, come on, nothing, come on. Then she later found out that a, a lone gunman, Adam Lanza, came into the Sandy Hook Elementary School and killed 20 kids, including six adults, before turning the gun on himself, and her life changed forever. She said, I could... I." I I could barely talk. I, I couldn't move. Friends and family came over and we cried and hugged. And in the midst of all this pain, I found myself drawing on my faith 
for strength, and God gave it to me. It wasn't until a social worker came to my house, sat across from me, looked me in the eye, put her hand on my knee and said, I know how it feels to lose a child. I lost my son too. I'm here to tell you that the pain will never go away and it will never get better. And Scarlett, Jesse's mom said, something inside her said, no, that's not true. I have a God who loves me. I don't know all the details. I don't know why, but I just set the sense that this is not going to be my journey. This is not how it's going to play out. She started the process of forgiving Adam, the shooter, and his mother for arming him and ignoring the signs of his illness. And forgiveness has been a central part of her resilience to move forward, her healing, and to help others. She started a group of people that were uh, involved in that shooting and families. And she said, reaching out to others saved my life. At Jesse's funeral, she urged everyone to choose love over hate. She said this, this tragedy started with an angry thought in the shooter's head, which grew to rage and escalated to violence. So please honor Jesse's memory by consciously changing an angry thought into a loving one to make this world a better place. After weeks, she started going through his stuff because memories are everywhere in her house of this little child. And she saw the words, words scribbled on a chalkboard, nurturing, healing, love. She, she, she was shocked. She get, well, I mean, a six-year-old, that's not something a six-year-old would say. She said, I have no idea where he heard that from. But that became the impetus to her book of the story of Jesse's life because he loved everyone and everything. And today, she has made an impact in so many lives because she decided to do what? Forgive. She decided to let go. She decided to move forward. They've been watching baseball. I've been watching the World Series recently. And it's been kind of interesting games. You know, some close games, some interesting... You know what you can't do in life? You cannot get to second with a foot still on first base, can you? You can't. You can't do it. I don't care how tall you are. You can't. You have to let go to get to the next step. That's exactly what we need to do. You cannot move forward if you're holding a grudge. A lot of times what happens is if we we hold something, is we find that anger sets in. And it says in the scripture... Below it says, and don't let, don't let anger control you. Don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let sin. Don't sin by letting anger control you. Because it can. Because anger can control you. Now, it might not result in the same thing that Adam did, but it will affect you. And you notice this, anger will kill any chance for freedom. It says in the word that, that we are free. We are free from everything. Why? Because anger He's not part of our lives. And if you look at the life of Naaman, if you read through his story, because he was a prestigious guy, he had great status, and he was looked upon with, he was a rock star in his world. And we went to see the prophet Elijah. He was told, Elijah didn't come out to see him. He just told, go wash in the River Jordan seven times, you'll be good. And he got mad. He even says he, he left in a rage because he thought, he thought to himself, do you know who I am? a lot of pride. But eventually, his buddies talked him to go back and do what he was asked to do. 
and he was cleansed. And last in your notes, forgiveness will open the door for healing, okay? Oh, this little girl, let's go back to this little girl. Now, it doesn't say it in the Bible, but I can just imagine back in those times when a, when a, when a tribe or, would, or a country would conquer another country, what would they do? Usually they'd wipe out everybody and take the spoils of war, take their stuff. And if you look at the words in the scripture, among their captives was this young girl. She didn't voluntarily go. She was taken. She was a slave. I don't know about you, but how would you react if maybe you had this history of these people killing your people and maybe they came in and conquered you and killed your family, potentially? There's no, no detail of her being with her family. A lot of times they would kill the men and send the women off to be slaves and doesn't say she was with her parents. Or I am assuming that they were wiped out. She had every reason in the world to hate Naaman. She probably gave the order. But what did she do? She showed the love of God. She's one to give. She saw him struggle. She saw him with pain. She had compassion. And she was also willing to forgive him. In her words, I wish, my, I can see this little girl, I wish my master would go see the prophet so he, so he would heal him of this leprosy. This little girl loved this guy, she had no reason to. She had every reason to hate him, every reason to despise him, every reason to wish he would just die. Ever been there? Ever been there? Yeah, but that wasn't her. So I'm going to ask you, in the bottom of your notes, your insert, it says, who do you need to forgive today? Now, you don't have to write their names down, but grab a pen and maybe... Maybe ask yourself, who do you need to forgive today? Maybe just put their initials down. Maybe someone has wronged you and you've held on to this for days, weeks, months, or even years. Even years. I know that I had animosity and at one time hatred for my dad. He was an alcoholic. He was abusive. and Not only um, verbally, but also somewhat physically too. And... and, um, I didn't like him at all, at all. I actually hated him at one time. But when I got to the point where I grew enough and understood forgiveness and forgave him, and I've shared this before, but I fell in love with this guy. He was a, he was a mess, but who, he wasn't any different than me or you. I, he was just a human being with a problem. He had his own version of leprosy. Right? We all have something. We all have stuff. And I fell in love with him. And I'm so glad I did because he died a few years ago. And I had that time that we loved each other. That that only came from God. It only came from my willingness to forgive and to love someone that was unlovable. So if we could bow our heads and close our eyes. I want you to think about this. Who do you need to forgive? Who do you need to forgive? Who do you need to let go? Some of those people that maybe you're holding on to, they don't even know that they've hurt you. They've forgotten about it. It's not even an issue for them. Forgiveness is not for them. It's for you. It's for you. You need to let that burden off. You need to let that 
free. Let that escape. Just take, let it go. Who do you need to do that to today? Maybe it's an employer or someone at your job that you were promised a promotion and didn't get it. You were passed up. Or maybe it's a friend or a family member that betrayed you, betrayed your confidence or betrayed loyalty or took advantage of you or hurt you. Some of, some of you maybe were hurt severely by a friend or family member. Maybe it was your spouse. Maybe it's yourself. Maybe you have never forgiven yourself for some of the things you've done. If God has forgiven you, you are forgiven. Don't hang on to that. Just think about this little girl. If she's not an example of Christ, I don't know what is. She gave herself. She prayed for her slave master, Naaman, to be healed. Who do you need to give forgiveness to? Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this time, this message, this story of this little girl. Lord, we ask you to help everybody here. It says you give us the power to obey your commands. You're the one that gives us the power to forgive. And we're asking that you help everybody here today forgive and let go of whatever they have a grudge against, whatever they have a grudge against. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.